<laughs> wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. I am really thrilled to have not just Austin, but all three locations. And uh, in, in Kyle and Lake Travis joining us this morning. In fact, I want all three of our locations. Come on, welcome each other. Come on, everybody here in Austin, let's welcome Kyle and Lake Travis. You guys, we're so thrilled to have you here with us. And uh, as Pastor Rob said, we uh, won't do this all the time, but it's one of the things I think that we should do from time to time because it's important as one church that we're all strategizing together, sharing together. We, we share vision, we share resources, all in the name of reaching people uh, in the Austin region. And so uh, I'm so thrilled that we can do this today. Uh, if you need message notes, I think the uh, ushers are in the aisles and, and they're available to you. It's going to be a pretty uh, simple uh, message that we're going to do today. We are in the the uh, series on Romans, and we're so excited to share on Romans 12. Um, but I, I want to start with this. I remember, I remember driving down Slaughter Lane in my 2002 Ford Explorer. It was not a great car. <laughs> But I was new in Austin, and I'm driving around just trying to, trying to find my way. This was about eight years ago, and in 2010, and I'm driving my Explorer all over the region. I'm driving it into different neighborhoods. I'm looking for Jesus to help me figure out where is one chapel going to meet we hadn't planted the church yet. We'd come, and we were living in, um, in New Braunfels with my mother-in-law, and uh, which we lived there for about four months, and it was awesome. No, I really mean that. It was awesome. Living with your mother-in-law for four months was a blessing. It was a blessing. <laughs> it was a blessing. So I'm driving around, and I remember, <laughs> I remember thinking and saying to God, okay, Father... I will meet anywhere as a church. We'll go anywhere except a movie theater. <laughs> anywhere except a movie theater. I hate movie theaters. They're dark and dreary and dirty and nasty and sticky and it's weird. I looked everywhere. I mean every school, every, every location that I could come up with, I could figure out, and I could not find anywhere. So on September 12th, 2010, we launched as one chapel at the movie theaters and AMC, <laughs> AMC movie theaters in Barton Creek Square Mall. And I think this is kind of how God does it. And I remember coming up on one of our practice services and I walked up there and there's a bus bench right there. And this bunch, bus bench, it was dark because it's early, right? And it's at the mall. So you just don't know who's hanging around. And I walked up to the bus bench, and there's a guy, kind of a shadowy figure. And, and he just was sitting there, and he was kind of looking straight at me, although I couldn't see his eyes. And as I'm going through the darkness, you know, other people are starting to arrive in the empty parking lot to set up for church. We're having a practice service. And as, we, and as we, I start walking towards him, he gets up from the bus bench and begins to walk straight toward me. 
And I've never seen this guy before, and he comes right up to me, and I'm, I'm like, checking to see if I have friends uh, uh, behind me or, or what, I, what I've got. And I walked right up, and it's Joel Starling. Some of you know who Joel Starling is. Joel Starling was at an incredibly bad place in his life, and he came up to me and said, I read about your church online, and I'm new here in Austin, and I want to join your church. I was like, we don't even have a church yet, bro. <laughs> but I said, you can join us right now. We're having a practice service today. Come on in. We're starting to load in. You can help us set up, and we'll go for it. And Joel Starling has been a part of our church ever since. And, and, and I think this is a, like a little picture of what I believe about One Chapel, that anybody and everyone can participate, that there is a, a moment where it's a little messy, it's a little scary, <laughs> but there is something that God is doing in our city, and we need to cooperate with it, and every hurting person, every person in trouble, every person who needs Jesus, every person who wants to experience the presence of God, we need to welcome them in. And this was the vision when we began and it continued when we planted One Chapel Kyle. One Chapel Kyle, two years ago, we were planning this launch. We were going to birth a church, and, and we, we rallied together. At that time, uh, that, that a location, Hayes County, was one of the fastest-growing counties in all of the nation. There weren't enough churches there, and so some of, of our family went down there, and some of them were coming hear from there and people like the Fordorcos and the and the Fosters and and others of you that are that are sitting right there in church right now and and you and and you came and you said yes to God's call to start another place that would be a lighthouse a healing place a place where Jesus could be found and of course we couldn't start anywhere but a movie theater <laughs> Evo Entertainment <laughs> Theater, and it has been incredible ever since we began what's going on there in people's lives, transformations, the stories, incredible. I'm so appreciative of Pastor Brent Parsley. Come on, give Pastor Brent a huge hand. I appreciate him so much. He is an incredible pastor, an incredible leader. And what is happening there in Kyle is worth being celebrated. And we're just getting started down there. And then, uh, interestingly enough, at the same time, there was another church up towards the Perdinalis River that came to talk to me one afternoon. Their, their leaders and elders came, and they were in trouble. And, and they had had a very difficult past with their pastor and they were without a pastor and they were just trying to find their way forward and and they came and sat down and talked to me and and after a lot of prayer and a lot of questions we finally said yes to what Jesus was doing and two weeks after we launched Kyle the 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 people of Lake Travis actually voted to become part of the family of neighborhood churches of one chapel. 
It was awesome. Come on, let's give Lake Travis a huge hand. Now listen, we had a birth and we had an adoption into our family. <laughs> and we've been like right here ever since. <laughs> but we're finally starting to lift our head. And I, I, I appreciate so much Pastor Russ Walker right there at Lake Travis. He's doing such an incredible job. We've seen so many people healed. So many people come to, to Jesus. An incredible thing. They had 472 people, I think, for Easter, where two years ago they had 88. See, Jesus is doing something, right? And so I, I'm so grateful, and I love what is happening at One Chapel Lake Travis. My, uh, my, one of my forever stories is going to be my little nine-year-old boy. He was nine years old at the time. He's walking in for the first time at One Chapel Lake Travis, and he goes in. He says, Dad, I've never been to a real church before. He'd only gone to church in movie theaters and commercial office buildings. And so I'm so grateful to have uh, One Chapel Kyle, One Chapel Lake Travis, One Chapel Austin all gathered together. And here's the thing. We have a vision. You and I, we have a calling. Our calling is to see God be uh, represented all over this region in churches, in communities where people go into that community and they own it. They live there. They own the ground that they're living on. And there's a community of people who are Jesus followers, who love each other and who love the community they're in. This is the vision. We have a vision to do at least 10 of these over the next many years. 10 in 10 years is what we started with. And I don't think those numbers are really that important. I think what's important is the vision that you and I carry. That this, what we're doing, is somewhat unique, but there's 4.7 churches per 10,000 people in the Austin region, somewhere in that range. 4.7 churches per 10,000. The national average is 12. 12 churches per 10,000 people. That means... No matter what we do, with 50,000 people moving here a year, we'll never catch up to enough churches. There are good churches in Austin, and there's more coming, and we ought to say yes to every one of them. We ought to thank God for every person who's willing to plant a church, and we have to have church planting in our bones. Because people can't experience Jesus unless they see it modeled, unless they see people who love each other. Unless they witness it, unless they hear it. And so I just want to say thank you for being willing to be part of this vision that God has given us together. It's not just a vision for me, it's a vision for us. So let's get into our, our lesson today. Our chapter is chapter 12 of Romans. And I think there is no chapter more suited for today than chapter 12. In fact, there may be no chapter greater at explaining what God's people are supposed to be and what they're supposed to do. And so I want to pray and then we'll jump into the scriptures. Father, would you just give us your wisdom? 
Would you give us your understanding? Would you give us your revelation? Hear with your word. Let it come and let it, let it infuse your life into us. Lord, and give us the grace then to obey what you've asked us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to start in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And here it is. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Everybody say transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now I want to pause here and I just want to break this passage down a few words at a time. Uh, the first word is therefore. Therefore. Why is he saying therefore? Because Paul has spent a really amazing amount of time. In fact, he spent the last three chapters, what you and I know as chapters of his letter, talking about Israel and talking about the Jews and about the Gentiles and about the, the struggle that the Jews are having in accepting the Messiah and what is God going to do with them. And in, this, in these last three chapters, he's been leveling the playing field in this fledgling group of Jewish and Gentile believers in this cosmopolitan city of Rome. And they're gathering and he's coaching them in this letter and, and he's leveling the playing field for them to be Jesus followers. And what he's saying is the Gentile believers are not second class Christians. You're not in second place behind these other folks who've been chosen and serving God. And he's also saying to the Jewish believers that they're not left out now. As more Gentile believers come to faith, most Jewish people are not accepting the Messiah. But he's saying to these Jewish believers, You're, I'm not done with you. I'm welcoming you into this family. This family. This is what one chapel is called to do, is welcome people into a family like Joel Starling. This is, what, this is what God's called all of us to do. And he's, well, he's asking these Jewish and Gentile believers to get along and to realize that they need to treat each other with respect and with love and with a certain generosity, a certain sacrificial love, if you will. So, so Paul has just gotten through with these three chapters where he's, he's been talking about this, and he gets to this one moment in verse 32, and, it, and it's an incredible little verse, and I want you to see it here. It says, it says, oh, the, uh, it says uh, for God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. What a curious little scripture. Not many people read that. Verse 32, he says, for God has bound everyone over to disobedience. God understands what happened in Adam and Eve. God understands what happened to the Jewish people as they opted for religion rather than relationship. 
God understands what's going on in humanity. Verse, verse 32 in chapter 11 is the therefore. Check it out. Check it out. He says, he says since God has bound all men over to disobedience, what's the purpose? Why would that even be necessary? So that he could have mercy on them all. He wants to have mercy on every person, no matter where they've come from, no matter what's happened, no matter what's going on in their lives, no matter where they've been, no matter if they have at one time served God or loved him or known about him or whether they've never heard of him before, he is in the business of having mercy on people. You need to understand that, that his mercy is amazing. It's perfect in every way. His, and, and that's what the whole first half of the, cha- of the book is about. It's about the balance and the tension of j- God's justice and his mercy. And so he, he launches into the end of this paragraph, and he, and he says, he's quoting scripture. He's quoting Psalms, and he's quoting Isaiah, and he's quoting, um, he's quoting Job. And he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, in verse 33. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Now, you're tracking with me? Are you guys all tracking with me? Say, yeah, okay. So he's like, oh, my goodness. It's like a moment of worship for Paul. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable. It is paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him for from him and through him and for him are all things. Paul is saying we can't quite figure out God's sovereignty. There's a lot of tension in talking about his sovereignty. I like to say that God's sovereignty is best explained by this idea that God has an infinite number of responses to every single response of every human, all seven billion of us on the planet. (laughs) He has an infinite number of responses to every single decision you and I can make, and that's what makes him God. So he can rule the affairs of men in a merciful and just way. That's how it works. And Paul is, is reveling in this, and he's, and he's saying it's just an incredible thing that God has done here. And he's saying, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, we think that the gospel sometimes is from him, through us, and for them. Or we think it's somehow uh, from us and to him and for them. See, we, ju- we get it all mixed up. It's from him. He gave us everything. He is the author of all. He is the author of faith. It is through him that we can do anything. Jesus said it himself, apart from me, you can do nothing. And it is for him. It is for his glory that we plant churches, that we show up together and gather and worship him. It is, it is for him that we share the message of the gospel. It is, it, is, it is a thing that he is doing all around the planet, and we're swept up in it. 
That's what he's talking about. And so he says, so he comes to this moment, he says, therefore, since that's so awesome, since that's so amazing, since it's not about you and it's about him, since he's in charge and since he's so merciful, since he's poured out his grace on you, how should we respond? He says it here in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He's urging them, in view of God's mercy, to offer their bodies. I want to encourage you today. You and I are called to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Now, most of the hearers of this passage and the readers of this passage in Paul's day would have understood sacrifice from the Old Testament idea. An Old Testament idea that, that, would, that would have painted a picture in their mind of an animal being sacrificed, being killed, and blood being spilled. And there would be a, a picture in their minds of the priest who would come and would lay his hands on that animal. And that there would be a transfer of the people of God's sins to that animal. And it would cover their sins. And I believe that this is a foreshadowing. I think the whole Bible is full of foreshadowing of the Messiah, of the great sacrifice of Jesus. And so he's painting a new picture for them because all they have in their vision of sacrifice is dead things. And what he's talking about is something else. He's talking about something that lives, a sacrifice that lives. So they would have seen the altar. One of the best stories in the Bible is about Abraham and Isaac, Genesis 22. Abraham is the father. Isaac is the son. God tells Abraham, he asks him to offer his son as a sacrifice to him because he's the promised one. And he tells him where to go and they go and, they, and, 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 and Abraham is willing to do this, this seemingly awful thing to offer his son as a sacrifice. But as he's, the, the story unfolds, Isaac is somewhere around a teenager. Abraham is old. When I'm saying old, I'm, I mean old. He's not middle-aged. He's like 100. He's 115 maybe. So even though he ate better than you and I do, he still was older and not as agile and strong as a 15-year-old. As a and so there was a moment, and this is such a picture of Jesus, a foreshadowing. There had to be a moment where Isaac surrendered to the process. And as Abraham, as Abraham was, was about to, to do the deed, an angel came and stopped him and said, Abraham, Abraham, don't sacrifice Isaac. Notice, living sacrifice. It was a foreshadowing. Isaac lived. And at that moment, there was a ram caught in the thicket. 
is what the Bible says, a provision from God. Now, I want you to see that Isaac lives. He, he becomes a living sacrifice in Abraham's heart. He becomes a, a living picture of something that is coming. And it's so important for you and I to understand that we are those sacrifices, those living sacrifices that were to come. And this word sacrifice is really important that you don't get messed up with this because sacrifice can mean all kinds of things in people's minds. And it can mean uh, somehow that, um, that you are this person that has to gear up for something and give it away. And you have to really work at it. See, here's what I want to point out. What Paul is talking about is a willingness and not a work. He's talking about a willingness and not a work. He's talking about being willing to live your life sacrificially. He's talking about your bodies as a whole. Mark 12, 28 is Jesus talking about the, um, the, the, the way that we're supposed to love God. And he says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. If you, if you break down that verse, what is it? Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it means to give your whole body away. And it's our physical bodies. They're not our own. The Bible says we are bought with a price as his kids, as his people. It's our emotions. Did you know that the Psalms are filled with really emotional expressions of God? I don't want to paint a picture here that, it's, that there aren't trying times as we're trying to give our lives away to God. There's an emotional toll. There's, a, there's our intellect. Sometimes we, we go through wrestling with doubt that God is really with us or that he's, he's for us. But there is a sacrificial way that you begin to be willing and that you just are, allow, are allowing yourself to surrender to God and his way. Your finances, your career, your, your church, all of it's part of loving God with your body. And you and I must make, make this, I think, this commitment. This is what Paul is saying. How do you respond to God's mercy? You just begin to live in a way where you lay your life down on the altar that he's prepared for you. Now, here's the problem. Most of you, pretty good, laying your life down on the altar early in the morning, have your little quiet time, you go, and then you go to work. And then you see the traffic. And then you're like, what is wrong with people? Left side is for passing only. I don't get this. This is a problem in Texas. I don't know what it is. I get start to get, and you know what happens to us? We jump right down off that altar. We stop living as a sacrifice, and we start getting angry. What's the deal with people merging? Why can't they merge? Like it's called speeding up and merging. It's not stop and wait for people to give you a spot. It's merging. Sorry, but I, but I digress. 
don't jump off the altar. Don't jump off the altar. There's something God's called you to, to live in a different way. Jesus described it as, if you want to follow him, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow him. And here's what's so cool. The big difference here, and I want you to get this. I want you to get this. The big difference is that whereas the sacrifice is there to be killed, the Christian's self-offering is actually all about coming alive. It's all about coming alive with the new life that bursts out in unexpected ways once, you're, once you deal with the evil deeds of the self and they are put to death. As the evil deeds are put to death, something else comes in its place. Romans is really clear in chapter 8 that you cannot put the deeds of the flesh to death by your own will. It only happens by the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so check this out. This is what Paul's referencing. He's already talked about that. And here he is. He's saying, so how do you respond to God? You respond with living as a living sacrifice. Not just dead all the time, not, not dreary, not, not grumpy, not, not religious. The work of the Spirit is happening in you as you, put the, as you put your flesh, the deeds of your sinful nature, as you deal with them by the work of the Spirit in your life, something else takes its place. And this is what so many Christians don't get, that the life of the Spirit is what we're talking about. The life of God's Spirit dwelling within you. The life of, and His joy, and His purpose, and His desires. It's not just about praying a prayer 25 years ago, and then we wrestle, we, str we just struggle. No, there's something else God wants to put inside of us, and it is the life of the Spirit. The second idea I want you to see here is coming in verse 2. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the pattern. Everybody say pattern. The pattern of, come on, you can do better than that. Pattern. Come on, everybody, say pattern. pattern. Yes, the pattern of this world, here's how the brilliant author and theologian N.T. Wright describes it. He says, like many first century Jews, Paul believed that world history was divided into the present age, characterized by rebellion against God, and the corruption and death which result, and the age to come, in which God would give new life to the world and humankind, bringing justice, joy, and peace once and for all. Part of the point of Paul's gospel, he says, is his belief that this age to come had already begun in Jesus and supremely in his death and his resurrection. So you see what he's saying? He's talking about a power from God, an age that we're entering into. The age to come had already begun and we're in this in-between time. And Paul is saying, don't, don't be conformed by the present age. What does conform mean? Conform means pressure, molded, shaped by an external force. That's what, it, that's what it means. It requires resistance or you will be conformed. Listen, Facebook has a plan for your life. That's become fairly obvious. <laughs> McDonald's has a plan for your life. <laughs> if you don't resist, 
you will eat the hamburgers. There is, Netflix has a plan for your life. I love Netflix. It is so awesome. It is so wonderful. Any movie I want to watch at my fingertips, any television show, it's an incredible invention. Netflix has a plan for you. If you're not careful, that's what you'll spend all your time doing. All of your life, you're being formed whether you know it or not. Whether you believe it or not, you are being formed. And, and there's, Paul is saying, don't be conformed by this. Wake up. You're going to be conformed. You go through this life. Your parents, your, your friends, your history, your job situation, your career, everything has a conforming effect on you. All that we do has a conforming effect. You know, this weekend, I was with a bunch of people from one chapel, and we went to the Broken Spoke for uh, Russ, Walker, Russ and Courtney Walker's birthday, and then, and then uh, Otis uh, had, his, had his birthday, <laughs> and, and then they had, uh, let's see, who else? And it was Hyde. Otis and Hyde. Lake Travis, give me a shout. Come on. Okay. Um, so... Otis and Hyde and then Russ and Courtney, they all had their birthday. And so we went to the Broken Spoke and I, we were there. And, you know, they're teaching you how to dance there. And the, the, the daughter of the owner teaches the dance thing and she is a pistol. If you've never been there, you've got you to experience it. It's crazy. And so, she, so she's teaching us all how to dance, and she's doing her little thing. And she's, you know, and then she, and then she gets, we, we get to this moment, and we're all super awkward. You know, it's like, ugh. So Amy and I are there, and we're trying to figure this out, and, uh, and they, we start into Cotton Eye Joe. Do you know Cotton Eye Joe? I love Cotton Eye Joe. And we, and we start dancing to it, and we're like four across. She's like, everybody get into four across. And we're like linking arms, and we're like doing this thing, and we're, we're like kick twice, and then you burp, 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 kick twice, burp, 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 kick twice. Hey, doesn't look very good, does it? No, it's like, that's, that's like, that's like a hundred people doing that really awkwardly. Anyway, we're doing it. And she says, every time you get to this left kick, you say, BS. <laughs> My wife, she's right next to me. The whole crowd, they're like saying it. I can't say it here in church. But it's like, she says, say BS. And she just keeps saying it. And my wife's like, I'm not saying it. I am not saying it. I am not saying it. And I even said it one time. I just wanted to have the experience. I just wanted to have it, and so I kicked it, and I'm like, yeah. I repented later. So, but she, she, so my wife is like, I am not saying that. That is not right. So she said, bull crap. <laughs> Christian cuss words, it's weird. I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. It's not that big of a deal, people. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that big of a deal. But she was not going to be conformed. What I want you to hear is that you are being formed no matter what you think. And sometimes in ways that you don't realize to the pattern of this present age. And God is trying to do something else in you. 
He's trying to make sure that you are transformed. Colossians 3, 1 and 2, I, I think they have that on the screen here. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then he says it again in verse 2. Set your minds, everybody say minds. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on the next age. Set your mind on what is coming. Jesus said this in, in um, Matthew 6, verse 19. Store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust doesn't corrupt and thieves don't break in and steal. He says, don't store for yourselves treasures here. Because wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to go. Paul is calling us here to something that is a, a bit of a resistance. A resistance to a pattern. But your battles are not against people. Remember this. Ephesians 6.12 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our struggle, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Look, your enemy is not people. And that's why you should always love them. You and I. We should be the people who love each other and love others. But you cannot be passive at it. If you're passive, other things will shape you. Do you know what getting up and going to church is? It's refusing to conform. Church attendance is at an all-time low in American culture. It is, a, it is a thing like, oh, does it really matter? Oh, listen, it matters because worship matters, because the scriptures matter, because, because you and I matter, because there is a resistance that must happen in ways that are simple but often very difficult to do. And so that leads us to this next phrase, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The battleground for your life happens in your mind. That's where the committee is always talking. Do you know the committee? There's a committee, others' opinions, your dad, your sister, your coach, your teacher, you. <laughs> One of the best strategies that the devil can have is if he can sound like you. So it's you, you think it's just you talking to you. There's a battle in your mind and what God wants for you and what Paul is articulating here is a life in the spirit that begins to work its way into your mind and begins to change it. How does that happen? It, change, it happens through the scriptures. That's why I believe in a daily Bible reading plan for the one-year Bible. I just think you've got to get it in. It is hard to do, but it is important to keep getting scriptures. It's good to study the Bible. It's good to make sure that we're all willing to let the scriptures have its way in our lives. Prayer, conversation with God. All it is is talking to him every day. It's, it shouldn't be this hard. But somehow the present age presses in, and we struggle to have conversation with him. You're being formed, and God wants to form you. Now, interestingly enough, this 
word transform. Do you know what it means? It actually has a different meaning. Conform means pressed and molded and shaped by an outward force, but transform means actually to be transfigured or change, changing form with an inner reality. That's the, that's the root meaning of that word. It comes from the same word we use for metamorphosis. Metamorphosis, transformed. It's an inner reality that is pushing its way out is the way Paul describes it. An external reality that's trying to conform you and an internal reality that's trying to transform you and work its way out. And that's why it's got to work its way out in your mind and in your soul and in your activities and this is the same word that's in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's or reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. Notice this. Notice this. With ever increasing glory. That means there's a little bit at first and then there's more and then there's more. Don't be ashamed. Just a little bit, just a little bit of work is all it takes. Just a little bit of resistance, it's all that's required. Ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. It's not about you. It's not about your ability to resist. It's about you surrendering to the work of the Spirit that's inside, way down deep on the inside of here, and surrendering to Him. What I don't want you to hear in this talk is, oh, i got to start reading my Bible every day. All right, I'm really going to hunker down, and I'm going to try to make this happen. No, what I want you to hear in this message is surrender to the Spirit. Surrender to His life. Surrender to being a living sacrifice. Surrender to these kinds of ways of living your life with God because it comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so number four, and we'll end here, is the sacrifice is the secret to knowing God's will. Understanding how this living sacrifice works is the secret in this verse to knowing, do you want to know God's will? It's like one of the top questions I get as a pastor. I just don't know, how do I, how do I figure out God's will? I want to know His will. You can know His will for your life, and you can know His will for the planet by being willing, and I think Paul is shaping it up here in this letter for knowing God's will, this transformation process that comes from living, as, living sacrificially, loving others, his purpose and his plans. Now, check this out. His purpose and his plans are always, everybody say always, are always accomplished with others. They're always about others. There are no lone rangers here in the people of God. <laughs> Paul's not writing a single person. He's writing a community. He's helping them to figure out that they are who God says that they are. And as he goes through and begins to describe in verse 3, he begins to describe this, these are the people that are living by the Holy Spirit. And I want to read it to you, and this is where we'll end. Verse 3, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. That's called humility. Bring it down a couple notches, people. Here's what Paul says. The, the work of the Spirit in you helps you get the right perspective on who you are. Be humble. 
don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Realize that there is a judgment coming, and that creates a sobriety in your life. In accordance with the faith, God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs, everybody say belongs, they belongs to the others, to all the others. We have, given, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Here's the thing. The life of the Spirit is a life of serving. There's a bunch of people back in our children's ministries right now who are serving. The picture of the work of Christ in a group of people is they're willing to serve each other. The picture that the world is kind of waiting for and looking for are people who will serve and not judge. Who will take care of others so well that it's like, what is this? Every person at one chapel, Lake Travis, Kyle, Austin, we must be a community that loves one another and is willing to use our gifts to serve each other. That's why Team One exists. It is a place for the life of the Spirit to begin to work its way out. I know some of you are like, I know, I know, I know, I, sh I feel I should. I should really be on Team. I'm not talking about guilt. I'm talking about the life of the Spirit that wants to lead you. Because, listen, what is our church vision statement? We help people move from where they are, come on, say it with me, to where God wants them to be. We help people move. You can't, you can't just sit still. You can't be conformed by everything else and not let the work of the Spirit begin to work in you with your community. It's so important. He's saying it here. Finally, verse 9, he says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. That means take care of people. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now listen, church, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. No more Facebook rants. No more arguing and creating dissension or division. Too close? Too soon? Yeah, I understand. Verse 19. 
Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here's the key to that last verse. Evil comes from the outside. Something much more powerful is living on the inside of you. And you've got to believe that. If you don't believe that, you won't give place for it. Listen, this is our calling as a church. That little list I just read, that should describe us. And we're not there yet. We're working at it. We're working towards it. Every church is. But I want you to see it, the life of the Spirit, the life of His work inside of you as a living sacrifice. You live it out and you sacrificially love the people around you. This is what will change the world. Close your eyes and bow your heads. I'm just going to pray for you here. In a moment, I'll ask the campus pastors to come. And they'll lead you in communion. But I want to pray for you. At every location, I just want you to close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. And I want you to let God speak to you right now. What is he putting his finger on? What is he, what is he saying to you? Would you just listen to him? In view of God's mercy towards you and towards me, let us offer ourselves. Let us offer ourselves to him. Would you be willing to offer yourself to him today? And if you don't have a relationship with God right now and you're trying to figure it out and you're investigating and you're just wondering what is this all about, I want you to believe as I've shared this today that he has nothing but good in store for you. That when you give everything away to him, what he gives in return is so much greater. But you got to be willing to surrender. You got to be willing to let go. And so, Father, we just pray today that you would speak your truth into us and you would continue to transform us from the inside out, that you would make us into a community of people that share the love and the life of God in such a way that others will be drawn to it, that others realize they need it, and Father, I pray that in every heart, in every life, in every mind, that you would begin a new work today because this is a day we can decide <laughs> to give ourselves to you. Give us a new start. Give us a fresh opportunity to just say yes to you, Lord. We surrender. We love you. We yield. In Jesus' name. We pray. Amen.